I said, yes. I said, yes to myself, clearly. I'm not only going to come back, I'm going to come back and enjoy every second of my life. And of course, in reality, you know, we do the best we can. Welcome to episode 118 of the Running On Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to have Fabian Haymans, intuitive healer, spiritual teacher, and co-founder of Hashimoto's Awareness Organization on the podcast. Fabian's podcast is the second in the Rue Rises series, so I'm not sure if you guys have heard yet, but this week I am publishing seven podcasts in seven days. I've never done this before, not even close. I think the most I've ever published in a week is three. So Fabian's podcast is here in an effort to help Running on Ohm grow, rise, and spread the stories of amazing pioneers from health, yoga, spiritual, running, and artistic backgrounds that I bring to all of you every week. Each day this week, I'm going to ask you to help me share our conversation in a different way. So today, after hearing Fabienne's story, please share the Running on Own conversation on your Facebook page. If you share this conversation with your Facebook community, who knows who the podcast will reach and how Fabienne's story will impact them. By helping Rue rise, I will be able to continue to bring these podcasts to all of you for free, weekly, and at an even higher quality. I really can't tell you how much it means to me to hear from all of you and hear about how Running on Ohm is impacting your life. So help Running on Ohm impact others by sharing the podcast, Seven Little Acts in Seven Days, that's going to help me bring this podcast to more people and take the podcast to the next level. In today's conversation, I talk with Fabienne on saying yes to life after a near-death experience. Fabienne was always someone with a deep intuition about the human experience. Her mom died when she was three years old, and throughout her life, she battled an autoimmune disorder that led her to a vegetarian diet and studies in alternative medicine. So she came to the U.S. in her young 20s as a model, actually, in New York and found Barbara Brenna's School of Healing, where she eventually became a master-level teacher for nine years and traveled the world internationally. Although Fabian is a healer, it really wasn't until 2012 that she was officially diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, an autoimmune disorder that explained a lot of the chronic symptoms she was battling throughout her entire life. Now, just three years ago, Fabienne underwent a surgery on her parathyroid and almost died. In her near-death state, she saw the light that people talk about. And in our conversation, she shares with all of you about the choice she made to live and how she's living now with so much purpose to spread awareness about Hashimoto thyroiditis and her dreams for her organization that she started to bring awareness to the autoimmune disorder. I feel really honored to have her on the Running on Ohm podcast as the second episode of the Rue Rises series, and if Fabian's story speaks to you, please share it with others by reposting it to your Facebook page. Let's jump into the show. It's a pleasure, Julia. Thank you for inviting me. And I love what you're doing. I love the ideas and what you're creating for people in the world. It's amazing, and I'm very pleased to be a part of it. Thank you so much for being a part of it and coming on. It's kind of crazy how we met. We were both in Mexico almost a month ago, and mm-hmm. both of us eating at a raw vegan restaurant for lunch. And I yeah. saw your dish, and we started talking about what you were eating, and 
from there, I think we talked for almost two hours just about <laughs> life and the spiritual path. And I knew I had to bring you on the podcast and have you share your story. So here we are. Yes. I was just thinking about that, Robar, just a few minutes ago before we took the call. And um, Adam, I miss that bar. Man. So delicious. So oh, good. God. So let's jump back many years to your spiritual awakening. When did you start to consider yourself a spiritual being? Or was that something you feel like you had since birth? I think I was born with a, with a gift. Well, actually, no, let me rephrase that. Because I think what happens is that when my mom passed away, I was three and a half years old. And at that time, something happened. I think that my field opened up. And energy started to flow with within me and in my room. Um, energy that I didn't know what to do with. I was a child and I was very scared. And I remember that um, I was crying before going to bed and I could not stay in the dark. So my father was leaving the, the light open in the hallway and that was somewhat helpful. But I remember seeing things flying in my room at the time. I was almost four years old. And not just pleasant thing. I, I actually remember seeing um, dark energies floating in my room. So I think that when children have traumatic experience like that, the field can then crack open and then we're so vulnerable and, and all kinds of you know, energy can come through because we don't know how to protect ourselves, especially when our mother died. You know, we're very attached. Until we're seven years old, our field is very attached to the mother and our chakra is not completely sealed, you know, to protect ourselves until we're about seven years old. So that's as far as um, I can remember when it really started. When you were three and four years old, how did you articulate what kind of energies you were seeing? I would describe it as witches flying in the room. And, um, yeah, witches flying on, on brooms. That's how I was telling my father. And do you remember your father's reaction? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, although he agreed to leave the, the light in the hallway, he, you know, he was, um, you know, it's just a nightmare. Don't worry about it. Um, it's, it's, it's nothing. Don't, you know, don't believe in it. It's things like that, as far as I remember. Throughout your childhood, did you ever feel like you were able to communicate with your mother at all or her come visit you? She did come and visit me twice, and I didn't realize how close I was with her. She came to visit me when, when I gave birth to my son, and I remember sitting, I mean, I was laying down, I had just come back from the hospital, I was laying down almost asleep, and I was on my bed, and there was a little bassinet with my son next to me, and I was turned away from him, so on my side, and I felt my bed go down, like when somebody sits next to you and the mattress just goes down, and I was not sleeping yet, and I turned around because it was so real, like the mattress actually moved, and I'm, I remember my heart jumping in my chest, I was by myself in the house at the time, and... I said, okay, just take a few breaths. What just happened here? And immediately I felt the presence of my mother. And I said, mom, you can't just jump in like this. You have to find another way to communicate with me or come and visit me. But this is too scary for me at the time, you know. 
I, I learned to communicate with her, and I have to say that whenever I had, uh, I gave healings, she was always present, and that was confirmed by many healers that I, when I was receiving healings, it was often um, confirmed to me that my mom was in the room, even though the people didn't know anything about me, you know. And the funny thing is that she always appeared like a huge archangel. And I have no connection with religion or angels at all. I didn't grow up. My father's an atheist. Um, it was no, so not part of, of my, of my um, youth, you know. And that's how she appeared to me, like this huge angel with these tremendous, you know, wings. And she often comes in my back to kind of wrap me around. So for a long time, I thought, well, you know, I have a lot of imagination, you know, but whatever. And then, like I said to you, I had many, many uh, confirmation of it. When did you seek out teachers to study with about the spiritual and healing path? I was uh, studying alternative medicine um, for 11 years. And during that time, a friend of mine bought a book called Hands of Light that he kind of put on my lap and said, this is for you. And I trusted him. He was a person that knew me very well. And I remember just going to the last page of the book and um, I noticed that the office was in Long Island where I lived at the time. And I decided to call them because it was totally resonating with me, even though I had not read the book yet. But I just went through the page and I'm like, wow, that is for me. He's right. So I called the office and they said, you know, we're having a workshop, you know, in a few weeks. Would you like to come? And I said, yeah, sign me in. That's it. And I went to the workshop and had this amazing experience and confirmation. And I felt home immediately. I knew I had to go through the school without any hesitation. I didn't have to um, make research about it or anything. It was just clear to me. I was at the right place at the right moment. And I studied there for four years and graduated from Barbara Brennan School of Healing and uh, decided to continue the advanced studies and became a teacher in the school. And so for nine years, I was traveling to Europe and then to Miami and teaching the year four, you know, before a student graduates and loved it and felt so home, always amazing transformation and the community is really special. Can you tell me a little bit about the transition from moving to the United States and then seeking out before you ended up at Barbara Binoff, but finding your schooling path? I know you had mentioned to me in Mexico, you were a model. And so how did that unfold for you? When I was 21, I moved to the, to the States. Um, I had met Aline Ford in Paris. So I'm from Belgium originally. And um, I was modeling there already and traveling around. And then I lived in Paris for almost two years and met Aline Ford, the owner of the Ford Agency, modeling agency. And she invited me to come to New York. I packed two suitcases and I came to New York and I was 21 and here I am, 52, and I'm still here. <laughs> I came to New York, was walking on Madison Avenue and looked up this, you know, the sky and the, and the buildings and I said, yes, that's it. And I had traveled a lot already, you know, modeling. I went all over the place, but this place really 
resonated with me and, and I knew I was home and I was going to stay. That's pretty amazing that you found your home and you're still there. With the School of Hands-On Healing, describe to me a little bit more specifically about what kind of work you did. I mean, when people would come study with you, what kind of modalities would you be teaching them? Because I studied so many modalities, I kind of mix it all up depending on what the client needs. It could be body work, it could be just stable work with energy, hands-on. I usually start by speaking with the person for at least 10 minutes just to see where they're at and what's, what's going on in their life and what guidance, you know, what they want to work on. We go to the table and as soon as I touch the feet of the person, it kind of becomes very clear of why they're here. That's something that happens quite fast at the feet of the person usually. And like I said, sometimes I, I have them come up the table and we do body work because they have to, you know, do some movement to move the energy on a visceral level rather than energetic. And sometimes they have to release emotions. So depending on what's there, you know, I, I don't force anything. I just kind of see what's present. The wisdom of the moment is something that I really listen to. I, I don't like to push things. You almost, it sounds like, become a conduit for the energy, for the healing energy. Instead of it being necessarily you, it's the mm. light that's flowing within you. Yes, and I didn't think about it that way, but yes, that's what happens. I'm there for the person, and together, something magic happens. In your own healing path, I know you have worked with hands-on healing, as well as diet, nutrition, and healing your own Hashimoto thyroiditis. What is Hashimoto thyroiditis, and how did you discover you had it? I was sick for almost all my life, and it's really by accident that we discovered that I had Hashimoto. Um, I, I went from doctor to doctor, endocrinologist to endocrinologist, all my life, and nothing was coming up in my blood test. My levels were normal, and so people were basically saying, you know, it's in your head, right? So... I knew something was going on because it's my body. You know when something in your body is off. But still, it's, you know, I felt very hopeless for a while and uh, kind of fall in a despair. You get sicker and sicker. And um, at one point, um, something went off in, in the parathyroid system. We have four parathyroid glands, and one of them got really, really inflamed, and they wanted to take it out. So before the surgery... And it was supposed to be like a two-hour surgery. I was supposed to walk, you know, walk out of the hospital by myself or um, pretty much no big deal. And before the surgery, I had a scan done, and we discovered that I had patches on the tissue of my thyroid, and they, they weren't sure what that was. So they said, well, let's do a biopsy to rule out that maybe it's cancer or something. So... We do the biopsy, and I remember that specific moment when the doctor came in the room and said, Ah, don't worry about it. It's just Hashimoto. And I'm like, Hashimoto? What? Uh, what is Hashimoto? And he goes, Oh, you'll see. Your doctor will explain. Don't worry about it. So I went home, researched Hashimoto, and actually, yes, there, there is. You know, you're not worried about it, but there's, it's a immune disorder. And you really have to address it, not just by restore and uh, bring your your thyroid hormones to a level. You have to absolutely address the immune disorder as well. 
such most doctors don't do. And that's why we decided to uh, create a, a non-profit organization called Hashimoto Awareness. And with a friend of mine, we founded and, and co-created, and we are preparing a national conference, hopefully in the fall. We're working on it. And we're launching in about 10 days our Kickstarter campaign. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's very exciting times for us. And uh, we have also meetup groups once a month here in New York City where we meet in person. And um, our little group is about 73 people right now, but not everybody comes, of course, um, at the same time. But it is growing, and it's a beautiful community, and they do need the support big time. We have experts in the field on our medical board of advisors, and we're very blessed to have Dr. Karazian himself, that is the author of uh, Why Do I Still Have Symptoms, Thyroid Symptoms When All My Blood Tests Are Normal, that directly talked to me, like he wrote that book for me, right? <laughs> so many of us are in the, in the, you know, in the position, and um, we get emails every day from people that are in deep despair and don't know what to do anymore because they have tried everything, and that's why we're there because nobody should go through that. How do you think your own struggles with Hashimoto has informed your being a healer and your working with other people? Uh, I think that my experience uh, with my near-death, my near-death experience really uh, transformed um, the way I work with people. So during that surgery for the parathyroid, I was simply not coming back. I was supposed to wake up, like I said, after two hours, and the entire day went by, and I was still in this place of limbo where I didn't know if I was going to come back or not. And it was a very strange experience because I remember specifically, like, if you would look straight in front of you and divide your right side from your right and from your left side, well, the entire right side of my body, 190 degree there on the left, on the left was all light, diffused yellow light, with a silence that I cannot describe to you because I don't think that as a human being we know what silent is. Even in the quietest place, there's always noise. And that silence was just really striking. It was a flat line and a sense of peace and grace that is really hard to describe in, the, in walking in diffused yellowish pale light and I started to walk and walk further and further and but at one point I could feel that my heartbeat on the table there on the bed there was going faster and faster and I knew that if I was continue to walk in that place there was no way back and I remember distinctively that I heard you know the voice of my son and I said no way there's no way I'm going to leave my son there Especially, you know, being myself a child with just one parent and having lost my mother. There was no way I was going to do that to my son. But the, the funny thing is that it's not like I was cold or it's not like I was greeted by anyone or any entities or any energies saying, you know, welcome, this is your day, you know, not at all. It was very clear to me that it was my choice. It was my choice. And it was okay either way. Either way. I could stay or I could go. And it was all right. 
there was no consequences, you know, or outcome. And I remember the right side of my body was completely lucid and knew everything that was going on in the room. I could hear the nurse's conversation. And I remember next to me, there was a guy, I don't know, he must have been from the Bronx and he had a really bad mouth. But I, I won't even tell you what he was saying. But I'm like, really? Like, I really want to come back to this? He had a conversation with his wife or somebody was visiting him and he was swearing and swearing and he was loud and I'm laughing within myself saying, do you really want to come back to this? Like, really? Seriously? And um, I said, yes. I said yes to myself clearly. I'm not only going to come back, I'm going to come back and enjoy every second of my life. And of course, in reality, you know, we do the best we can. And uh, it's not always the case, but I, something changed. Something really transformed in the way I deal with, um, you know, problems or issues or, you know, whatever Christ comes in life. When you woke up and you made the choice to choose life, how mm -hmm. long were you in an in-between state for? For hours. Uh, pretty much the entire day was about me making my decision. And I was going back and forth. And then I really went a little far in the light. And then I knew that was, that was it. I couldn't go further than that. It took the entire day. I think that around 8 o'clock at night, I made the decision. That's it. I'm staying. And did you verbalize something at that moment? How did you transition from being in, obviously, a... Mm -hmm. I don't even know what kind of state to call it, a in-between state to actually coming back to the human experience? Well, once I knew that I was diagnosed with Hashimoto, I said, I have to do something about this, you know. And there are so many people that are suffering out there, and they don't know what's going on. And it's simple. The, the, the proper test of, um, you know, measuring your, your TPO um, and find out if you have any in antibodies in your in your thyroid is the only thing you really have to do is that very proper test and it's not included in the standard test right now so one of our goal uh, is to to change the law and we're, we're working with Dr. Karazian and um, we might have to go to le le legislation for it but our, our goal is to have this um, TPU tested all the time because it's like epidemic that you don't realize. It's the, the amount of people that that email us and call us is is insane. Every day we hear about more cases of people that have Hashimoto's. Like, what what is Hashimoto's? Like a new thing, you know? It's like it's like popping all over like popcorn. What are the actual symptoms of Hashimoto? Well, the typical symptoms of uh, hypothyroid, you know, exhaustion, um, losing hair, um, brain fog, um, a gum problem, uh, adrenal exhaustion, you know, to just name a few. But sometimes you, you feel uh, your throat might be swollen a little bit. And in your own path in healing from an autoimmune disorder and managing it, what have been some self-care practices for you that have been really important in your day-to-day -day life? Well, because I wasn't diagnosed for most of my life, I intuitively turned towards um, 
a very healthy diet. You know, it was like my body wanted to eat that way. It's not like I wanted. It was like, you know, I remember being 17 and asking my my family, so what are we having for dinner? And I remember them answering, and my entire body reacted. It's like, oh, my God, I almost wanted to throw up because my body didn't want to eat what was going to be served, you know? So it was like a visceral experience, but my body was my first guide in my life. It was telling me, this is not good for you, and you have to listen here. So I started to really pay attention to what my body was saying. And I left home around 19 years old and and changed my diet and experienced different you know different ways. I became vegetarian, but then I had to put a little more protein, you know. So I I explored what was working better myself because I didn't have the support of the medical you know field. So I kind of studied nutrition by myself for a long time, and herbs and um, eventually. It led me to study Chiang medicine and Shiatsu and Ama. And, but I started to really listen and, and read and educate myself. I think it's beautiful you just spoke to the fact that you let your body be your guide. Because mm. I think in our world that's so nonstop, we can sometimes forget about actually listening to the body. I know mm. myself, we can sometimes get caught up in the ego or get caught up in the future, but you were speaking to the fact that you listened to your body and your body actually knew what it needed. Exactly. And that's powerful. And for a lot of listeners out there, I think we can be disconnected from our bodies at times because yes. of how fast moving life is and the expectations of life. What kind of advice do you give to clients or listeners in trying to get into their body and in trying to cultivate that inner listening? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I would definitely tell them to educate themselves, you know, to make research and to um, to explore different ways, you know. If you think, well, it takes time to connect with yourself. You have to be present with yourself. You create stillness within yourself. And in the stillness, you will get answers. I guarantee. We forget how to do that, you know. But I think that it only takes a fraction of a second to connect with yourself and be present to what's here now. And in that moment, then you will get the answer. I don't think it's that complicated. Yeah, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> it's, it's practice, right? It is practice. But you know, I think people don't trust their intuition. They get a feeling, they get a sensation, or an intuition, an inner voice, whatever you want to call it, and then their mind comes in and says, well, that's not true. The doctor said this, or my mother said that, or I read this, that, and that. And then there goes your intuition, you know, out the window. Up. In a fraction of a second, all these voices came in and totally, you know, bypassed your, your inner voice. So really start paying attention to what's, what's happening in the moment and, and uh, not discard it so easy. And as you said, it is a practice of getting that muscle almost, that intuition muscle, stronger and stronger. And I mean, your lifetime is a testament to that kind of work, mm. that you work as an intuitive healer. What would right. you say for you? I know you've probably worked with thousands of people 
but can you tell me just one story of someone maybe you've worked with recently that you've just seen transformation in and that's been really exciting to you? I don't know why this story comes up to me. I don't think it might be the most interesting one, but for some reason it's there now. I remember one client that came to me some years back, and she only came once. And sometimes you only need one session to get back on track, you know. I remember that woman had lost her husband, and she was from the Jewish religion, and um, she was laying down there, and I kept, you know, her, her husband kind of came to me and said, you know, she used to have a necklace that I gave her, and she's not wearing it anymore. And so I just asked her, I said, you know, at the risk of looking totally like a fool, I'm just going to throw this in, and we'll see what happens, you know, I mean, what do you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, when you do healing, you just, you, you name whatever is there and you just put your ego to the side because it doesn't matter, really. Um, and so I, I told her, I said, you used to have a necklace, a golden necklace that your husband gave you. And um, you're just telling me that, you know, maybe you should wear it again. And that's all she needed to hear. That's all she needed to hear. And this woman reconnected with, with life. She, she basically said yes to life as well because she was really letting go and was uh, abandoning herself on every level. And that, that was it. She came only once, and that's all she needed to hear. And so every session is different, you know. It's not like I, I work with past life or I work with entities. It's just whatever the person needs, you know. I don't specialize in one 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 part one past life you know it's not my thing i just kind of go with what is in the moment and trust it and you have to trust it and if you trust it you will and it will unveil by itself and it will be magical if you don't get in the way i think what you just said is saying yes to life and when your own experience with your near-death experience you hit that fork in the road where you decided to say yes to life. And I think that's a choice we can make every single day. Every moment, every every second of the day, you make choices between life and death and yes and no to it. You know, the way you, the way you make your breakfast or um, anything, any choice that you make is going to tell you if you're really saying yes or no. It will reveal to you. What is exciting you for 2015? You've mentioned there's a Kickstarter campaign coming up for Hashimoto's Awareness, which we'll mm -hmm. definitely link to in the podcast show notes. But what else are you looking forward to, either with the organization or personally? I haven't thought beyond that. I mean, right now we are so immersed in the campaign and excited about it and getting ready with all the rewards and the books of all the authors that are on our medical advising. Beyond that, uh, we want to go international. You know, we have connections already uh, through one of the um, board members, um, Isabella Wenz. She wrote a book called The Root Cause of Hashimoto. And it was actually two months ago the bestseller in New York City. And so she lives in Holland. We want to open up to Europe, you know. And who knows? And the national conference might be an international conference, you know. Yeah, we haven't thought much beyond that. But one of the things we want to do is to open a center in New York. And so the Kickstarter is going to help us to fund the National Conference and the Wellness Center. 
And would the wellness center be a meetup place or a place where people can receive treatments? What do, what do you see for that? Yes, it's going to be an integrated healing center as well with all alternative medicine functional doctors giving acupuncture. We're going to have a group support therapy. We're going to be there to support people that are calling every day. This is an amazing undertaking. I'm so excited to support it. So to close up our interview, I'm starting a new running on OM tradition where for 90 seconds, I'm going to take you into the grab bag and you can answer them in one word to a sentence. Are you ready? (laughs) Favorite day of the week? Oh, Saturday. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I had um, brown rice toast with olive oil, and avocado, and an earl grey tea. One place in the world you haven't visited that you'd love to travel to? Bali. In another life, you wish you had this talent? I want to be a singer. Right, I mean, Hashimoto is all about self-expression and, and, and your voice, right? I mean, so yeah, a singer. It's actually very good for Hashimoto people to sing, to create vibration in their throat and heal. Mountains or oceans? Uh, mountains. Tea or coffee? Mm, depends on the moment. The most beautiful nature view you've ever seen in your life. Wow, you know, right now, I'm just, all I see is Tulum's water. (laughs) (laughs) Book you think everyone should read. Siddhartha. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey on the podcast with me. It was a pleasure. Oh, Julia, anytime. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to episode 118 of the Running on Om podcast with Fabian Haymans, intuitive healer, spiritual teacher, and co-founder of Hashimoto's Awareness Organization. As you know, Fabian's podcast is the second in the Rue Rises series, so this week I'm publishing seven podcasts in seven days in an effort to help Rue grow, rise, and spread the stories of amazing pioneers. Today, the little act you can do to help Rue rise is to repost and share my conversation with Fabienne on your Facebook page. Who knows who Fabienne's story will touch and how this podcast will change their life. Seven little acts in seven days that will help me bring this podcast to more people into the next level. Thank you all for your support and love. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.